Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to New York City Ballet. My name is Daniel Capps, and before we finish this evening's performance, I have the privilege of taking just a few moments of your time to do what we call See the Music, which is a chance to explore some of today's repertoire from a musical point of view. Uh, our program this evening has been extraordinarily diverse, uh, starting with the little-known music of Alexei Hayef, before moving on to the unmistakable sound of Igor Stravinsky, which we're fortunate to enjoy so much of here at City Ballet. But the musical tour de force of this evening's program, for which this magnificent orchestra deserves huge credit, is Episodes, which comprises more than half the orchestral music that Anton Weber ever wrote. Fiendishly difficult, and requiring a huge degree of mental gymnastics. Uh, this music places heavy demands on both the performer and the listener, and is certainly at the sharp end of academic theory as far as compositional technique is concerned. Yet, despite its genius, it's probably fair to say that this music is not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. Now, what you've just heard as we made our way up from the depths of the orchestra pit is something quite different. And I suspect many of you here this evening are already very, very familiar with Aaron Copeland's Rodeo. Or some might say, Rodeo. <laughs> but whilst facing a room of 2,500 Americans, you'll forgive me if I gently sidestep any conversation about pronunciation. <laughs> Copeland's ballet music is hugely popular. It's based on American culture. It's infused with American folk music. It has itself become part of the fabric of American identity, to the extent that I'm reliably informed that this very music is used in a certain commercial to epitomize all that is great about American beef. <laughs> Copeland is probably America's most famous composer. Um, and he was a New Yorker, too. He was born in Brooklyn in 1900. Yes, well done. <laughs> he was born in Brooklyn in 1900. His father was a Lithuanian immigrant. And he spent much of his adult life living here on the Upper West Side. He even had an apartment just across the street in the Empire Hotel. But you may be surprised to learn that much of Copeland's music sounds very much like episodes. The reason being that in the 1920s, the early 1920s, Copeland moved to Paris to study composition with Nadia Boulanger. And it was there that he first encountered what we call the Second Viennese School of Composition, of which Schoenberg and Webern were the most influential figures. It was also in Europe, later in the 20s, that he first heard Webern's Five Pieces for Orchestra, which formed the second part of episodes this evening. And he was so impressed by that piece that he started to incorporate some serialism and 12-tone technique into his own music. The very first concert here for the opening of Lincoln Center in 1962 uh, included a new commission from Copeland. That work, called Connotations, was a 12-tone composition, much to the surprise of many in the audience, including Jackie Kennedy, who were perhaps expecting something a little more popular. It's very, very unusual for a composer to write in two such distinctive and disparate styles. 
So let's just take a few minutes to explore how Copeland goes about making rodeo quite so approachable. The score was commissioned by the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo and premiered in 1942 with choreography by Agnes de Mille. The scenario is very simple, and I shall quote for fear of heckling. The theme of the ballet is basic. It deals with the problem that has confronted all American women from earliest pioneer times and which has never ceased to occupy them throughout the history of the building of our country. How to get a suitable man. <laughs> Sorry, chaps. So here we have the most basic, down-to-earth, everyday scenario with no hint of fairy tale, no fantastical beasts. Um, and Copeland writes music to match. First and foremost, it's thoroughly tuneful, it's infectiously rhythmic, and it's littered with American folk songs, many of which you may know. Uh, but Copeland goes further than that, and he tries to bring the familiarity of everyday life into his music. Now, one way in which he does this, you've actually heard uh, several times this evening already, and it's part of music making at all levels, anywhere. It's quite simply tuning up. Now, someone gives an A, and in our case, we take it from Julia, our principal oboe, and then everyone else checks the pitch of their instrument against it. Now, we have 34 string players in the orchestra this evening, each of whom have four strings on their instrument, which are tuned in fifths, or in inverted fifths, if you want to be pedantic. Um, I'm going to ask Kurt to be my guinea pig for a second, and if Julia was to give us an A, Kurt would check his A string against that. And then he would check the other strings. And you hear all these open fifths. It's a very distinctive sound, even more so if everyone does it. Would you be so kind? It's a very familiar sound to us all, even if it passes us by quite regularly. But Copeland uses this very sound to evoke a feeling of normal, everyday life before the third movement of the ballet, which is called Saturday Night Waltz. It's as if the musicians are getting themselves ready before the waltz proper begins. Let's have a listen. We'll stop there. I'll leave you to wait till later to hear the waltz itself. Um, being a classic cowboy ballet, this score is littered with fabulous rhythmic invention, including this one, which captures the energetic mood of the cowboys at the rodeo. As I say, these, these little rhythmic motifs are throughout the score. But Copeland goes further, and he chooses to play with them to inject some fun or some humor, or maybe even hint at the human characteristics of our protagonists. Um, 
In this next example, the orchestra presents the folk tune, If He'd Be a Buckaroo. First of all, Copeland sets up the rhythm. But it's, it's no easy task. He paints it as almost a comic event, like trying to start up some old tractor that just won't get going. Uh, once, eventually, finally, it is up and running, he adds the melody. But again, he's playing with it, and he keeps freezing the action, like some sort of game of musical chairs. Have a listen. Later on, all seems to be going well, and our band seems to have appears to have got his act together. But Copeland still finds the opportunity to inject yet more character. In this next little example, he uses the cellos to depict some rather unsubtle fellow whose dancing is perhaps a little too agricultural, or maybe he's had a little bit too much sauce, and uh, sticks out like a bit of a sore thumb. Lastly, as at any village dance, people inevitably get weary. And Copeland finds a wonderfully whimsical way to paint the picture of what happens when dear old great-uncle Fred drifts off for a moment, perhaps into some soporific stupor, before someone gives him a nudge and we're good to go for one last time. I can feel the metaphorical nudge coming my way fairly shortly. So we shall, we shall play this last extract as we make our way back down into the orchestra pit. But before we go, I'd like to thank you for your time and your patience, and I'd like to thank the fantastic orchestra of New York City Valley. <laughs>